Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. For up-to-date information and ways to get involved, please visit us at classiccity.org. I will never forget this day. I was at lunch with my best friend, Greg. We grew up together. We played basketball together. My mom and his mom were really good friends. And we, we did everything together, everything, everything together. And I was, don't know what I was thinking about before this conversation, probably about my science class that was coming up and how I didn't want to make Mr. Hardaway mad, get him on me, whatever. That was probably what was dominating my mind at the time. But Greg and I started getting into a conversation. And that weekend, Greg had gone out with a couple guys that were in high school. And they went out. And they got drunk, and they smoked pot. And I was 13, and I was like, oh, my gosh. You don't supposed to do that. And he was just thought it was the greatest thing. He was telling me all about it, and he couldn't wait till the next weekend and the next weekend. And my good friend Greg, who was a great athlete and a great guy, he went down a road that was bad. It dominated him. And he went from being a pretty big drinker, smoking weed a lot. He got on cocaine as he got older. As he got a little older in his 20s, this was about the time of my wedding. Matter of fact, he was in my wedding and he was just starting to discover a drug called crack. And he just said the first time he ever did it, he was the greatest feeling he ever felt for 30 minutes, and he said he understood then, he made a decision that the rest of his life was going to be about getting high on crack. It just was that exhilarating. That went on for several years. When I was 32, literally 20 years later, one day I was up, and Lisa was doing a Bible study downstairs in her home, and Daniel was a new, you know, little kid. Young, young boy, my young oldest son, Daniel, and he called me on the phone. He had just tried a drug called crank, which was now meth, and it was keeping him awake. He couldn't sleep for four or five days, and he just said, man, I'm at the end of myself. And he, he wanted to get saved. He ended up coming to Christ. Uh, he ended up, uh, about a year later, getting into a rehab, and he was doing great. He actually was in a car accident, was quadriplegic, but spent the last 20 years of his life, at times he would go rolling around uh, the University of Georgia campus, stop people and tell them about Christ. He was just a fired up, sold out to Jesus guy. But he went through 20 years, 20 years. He just wasted. Because one bad decision, because behind that decision, there was lurking this beast that wanted to ravage him and own him throughout his life. Temptation is epic. We, we battle something very powerful, very devastating. I've seen temptation. I've seen very good people give in, and it just slowly wipes away, and they become a shell of themselves. This is something we all battle something we all want to overcome. So what does the Bible say about battling temptation? How do we overcome it? Well, if you 
look at the whole of the Bible, basically overcoming temptation is a process. And I think there's four factors that are involved in that process. One of them is particularly crucial. I'm going to spend a lot of time on it. But there's four things that are, that are very important. Now, the number one thing that I think is the most important part of overcoming temptation, I know this from my own personal life, things I've fought with and battled with, the number one thing is to fuel your faith. Fuel your faith. Fuel your faith. Years ago, when we were a young couple, we had, um, my wife and I, Lisa, have two boys. We, we had a son, Daniel, then a couple years later, we had another son, and we were in a starter home we had bought, and we decided to buy a home in Beechwood Hills. We were going to take the big step, go to the Beechwood Hills. We bought a home there, and a really cool home. We had to do tons of remodeling on it, um, and it had a yard, and I had two boys that I wanted to get out and play. I, I was very convinced both my boys were going to go to the NBA, so I needed to, you know, clear the backyard, make it flat, and put a big concrete pad out there so they could work on their jump shot um, at a young age. And, and I, um, you know, we had a friend that came, and he cut down all these trees, and there was dirt was moved. And then we, there was a guy in our church back then who owned a centipede grass farm. And, you know, you just... And he was like, hey, I can just, and all this stuff, just guys were doing this for me as favors. I was like, you know. So I was like, oh, cool. He was going to basically give us a bunch of grass, uh, and we could lay it out there, and, and it would just, you know, be turf to cover the, the whole yard. I was like, cool. But we had to go get it ourselves. So we did. He would go out there, and he cut it. And I got a, a college ministry I was leading then, had a bunch of college boys uh, help me out. Let, let me give you guys some advice real, real quick. Anybody here ever laid sod? If you've got a friend that wants you to help them lay sod, end the friendship. It's not worth it. It's the hardest work you'll ever do. Um, but we went and I got these guys and they, we laid sod and we laid it all out and the whole, it was just completely covered and it was just fantastic. Except for one problem. This was in the fall and as I walked out and looked at my beautiful sod yard, it was chuck full of weeds. I was like, you know, I'd done all this work, and I was like, oh, my, like, what do you do? And I was looking, and it was just all weedy, this chuck full of weeds. And so I kind of awkwardly sort of called the guy because he gave it to me. So you can't, you know, you know I mean, it's not like you bought it, so what could you do? And I was like, well, I said, hey, uh, I just noticed something with the yard. It's the, the grass is like pretty weedy. It's like, you know, I think I said it real nice. I didn't say it's just chuck full of weeds, but it really was. And I said, like, he goes, oh, oh, oh don't worry about it. He said, it's the fall. It, grass goes dormant. The weeds come in. He said, here's what you do. In the spring, when it turns 80 degrees, Get a little bit of weed and feed, very little. Put a little bit of weed and feed on the yard, and if it doesn't rain, water it for an hour. Water it every day for an hour unless it rains. He said, and in a week, it'll look like a golf course. And then he said this to me. He said, see, centipede grass is real strong. It's stronger than the weeds. And if you grow the grass, it'll wipe out the weeds. Now, Yours, and it was true. I did that. In the spring, it looked like a golf course. It was fabulous looking. In a week, it looked fantastic. 
This is how your spiritual life works. Listen, how many know your life's full of weeds? Anybody ever notice that about yourself? Okay, some of you, no, let's be real here. Everybody, everybody, you got some things you need to work on. Everybody here got weeds, things you need to pull? Okay, good. This is fantastic. You know, let me tell you this. When you think about how much, how weedy you are, how bad you are, you know why you should never get depressed and never get down? Because you're really worse than you think. I mean, you're just, you're just, you and I are a mess. We're humans. But here's what, here's what happens. If you went around and just pulled up every weed, oh, let me work on it, and you get nowhere, and you just have dirt in your yard. Grow the grass. There is something remarkable God has put in your life. You're, he's given you a new life. He's given you faith. He's given you love. He's given you purity. He's given you his nature. And he just says, grow the grass. Grow that. Grow that. Fuel your faith. Fuel your faith. That is the most important thing you can ever do. If you want to prevail in your Christian life, fuel your faith. Let me show you several verses in the Bible that talk about this. Look on the screen, and let's just read a couple of these. It's in uh, John chapter 8. Let me look at this one. John, this is Jesus. It's a famous saying of Jesus. In John 8, 32, Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, this is the backstory of it. In, in John 8, 31, he's talking, and Jesus says this, if you continue in my word, or it may say there, if you uh, uh, hold to my teachings, you are truly my disciples You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Then in verse 33, the guys get in a conversation with him, the guys that were against him, and they were saying, oh, well, what do you mean? We've never been slaves of anybody. What are you talking about? And then Jesus said this. If you read on in verse 34, he said, everybody who sins is a slave to sin. We all know that to be true. You commit a sin, and you like it, it's got you. And what Jesus is saying is basically this. If you want to be free, continue in my word. There's two things going on. There is if you sin, you're going to be trapped. You're going to be enslaved. But there's something else. If you continue in my word, you'll learn truth. And truth will liberate you from that trap. Look at the next verse here that's up here. Um, the next one. Or the next one. Go to the next one. <laughs> Sorry. Romans 8, this is a great. Okay, I just want to give you a few of these. Uh, let me read this to you. Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. And it goes on, and it says, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Verse 7 says, The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit itself to God's law, nor can it do so. And then in verse 8, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Here's what he's describing here. If you read that whole passage and you read everything around it, he basically is talking about a dynamic that we know. Everybody knows here if you're going to follow Christ and you're going to serve the Lord, you're going against the stream. How many know that? The, the current is going this way and you're spoke, we're, we're called to go this way, correct? Now, you know, we know that's true in our society. You know where else it's true? It's true in you and I to some extent. There's a part of us that wants to go down this way too. And you've got to go against it. And this is what Paul's talking about. He's saying, hey, look, if you want to win this battle, not against the society, not against the culture, but if you want to win the most important battle you and I face, which is the battle against us, 
You've got to have your mind set on the Spirit because it is going to take you backwards. And, and here's the thing we can do. We can try our best. You can paddle against the current, but what's going to eventually happen? You get tired, and it's just going to, you know, you're just going to run out of energy. You just only so much strength you have. Or you know what? You can have a, a motorboat that just takes you, takes you there. And this is what he's saying. If we, if we are a mindset on the Spirit, a mind that's focused in God's Word, is like a motorboat. You're going upstream and it's no sweat. You're empowered to do that. Look at the next verse, if you will. Peter, therefore rid yourself of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind, all these temptations. Look at verse 2. Like a newborn babe craves spiritual milk, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. You know, we, we've got a new grandbaby, some of you know. It's four and a half weeks old. My Joan, baby Joan. And you know what? She is the sweetest girl. She is so happy, and she's got personality, and she tries to talk and does this kind of stuff, and it just melts your heart, and she loves me, and I grab her, and I hold her. I, I do this. She likes jostled, and she's really cool. Almost always except when she's hungry. Then she becomes something else. What is that? She's craving milk. She's just going, I want to grow. I want to grow. I want to grow. Feed me more. Feed me more. And this is what needs to be in our lives. Paul's saying, hey, look, excuse me, Peter's saying, be like, be like a newborn babe, man. You've got to get your feeding. You've got to get the word of God in your life. If you do that, your salvation is going to grow. It's going to grow. It's going to happen. Look at, look at, let me just keep, go one more. Acts 20, 32, Paul says, I commit you to the word of God's grace, which is able to build you up and bring you into inheritance. Man, what a great thing. God's word can build you up spiritually and bring you into what God has for you. And let's go one more. I think there's one more up there. Romans 12, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by renewing your mind that you might basically live out the Word of God. And then I think Psalms 119 is the last one that we have up there. And this is what this David said. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The man I've hidden, I have crammed your word deep in my heart because I don't want to sin against you. So if we want to, um, you know, overcome temptation... Fuel your faith. Look at this passage in, in Psalm 19. Look at what we talked about here, what we read earlier. I just love this, this verse. Psalm 19. Let me read it to you again. This is written by David. In fact, C.S. Lewis, famous Christian author, uh, this was his favorite psalm, Psalm 19. And if you read it, it's really cool. Uh, psalm 19, he starts out, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from all of them, yet their voice goes out to the ends of the earth, the words to the end of the world. He basically is just saying, man, those stars and that universe and what is going on out there says God is awesome. You know, the James Webb Telescope and some of the pictures we see, you know what it says? 
God is awesome. It says it without having to say it. It's incredible what goes on out there. But then look at verse 5. It goes and he says this. Uh, in the end of verse 4, he says, In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. And he talks about the sun now. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run its course. It rises at one end of the heavens. It makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. It touches everything. And then he, and then he, so he talks about the sun there, and it's really kind of interesting. Because he, he basically is saying, look, there's a lot of fantastic things there in the heavens. But there's only one sun. And he calls the sun, it's like a champion runner, man. It, it's just, it goes forward, it just wins every time it gets up. It touches every part of life. We need it. We can't live without it. It's absolutely essential. So while there's a lot of wonderful things out there, the sun stands alone. Calls him, he's like a bridegroom before his wedding day. You know, I was at a wedding yesterday. I always tell whenever I'm doing a wedding, I always tell the bridegroom, whenever I'm talking to him, I say, you know, because you sit up there and they're nervous, and I always say, sit there and look like you're about to go you know, play a ball game. You're about to fight somebody. Look like you're about to take her from her dad. I mean, look like you, but like, you know, just look. You know, you want to look like, man, I am ready for this. Just look excited. Look ready. Look alert. He says, that's what the sun's like. It's like, man, he's just beaming. It is powerful. It is like nothing else around there. And then he goes on here. And look at verse 7. So he paints that picture. Verse 7, he says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. It does something within us. Its statues of the Lord are trustworthy, making the wise, making wise the simple. Excuse me. The precepts of the Lord are right. They give joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant. They give light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm. All of them are righteous. Verse 10, they are more precious than gold, more than pure gold. How many believe that? How many believe God's word is literally more precious and more valuable than a lot of money? And then he goes on here. And he talks about it in, in the rest of verse 10. It's sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. It's sweet, it's valuable, it's priceless. By them, your servant. And then he goes on here. So he's basically making a point. And he's saying, you know, think about the heavens. Think about the firmament. Think about all these awesome things. But there's only one sun. And that sun touches everything. That sun is the reason we can live. A sun's the reason we can do what we do. We, we are so dependent on the sun. And then he says, you know what else is like the sun? The word of God. It's just like the sun. This, what the sun is to our physical world the Word of God is to our soul. The Word of God is to our immaterial part. It, what it does is crucial and important. It's priceless. It's sweet. It, it, it produces joy. It gives peace. It gives clarity. It gives stability and strength. And you can look at all these things. And then he, he goes through here, and at the very end he says this. Verse 11, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them is great reward. So he says, you know what? There's a warning there, and in keeping them, if you live it out, man, there's a real reward to it. And then he says, but who can discern our own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. 
Verse 13, keep your servant from willful sins that they may not what? Rule over me. He says, man, I don't want my sins to rule over me. Listen, the, 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 there is a process to overcoming temptation. The absolute most crucial factor in that process is you fuel your faith. You fuel your faith. It takes time in God's word. I remember being a, a young Christian. I got saved when I was 13, came to Christ, uh, and did the best I could. I was a good person. I didn't drink. I didn't chew. I didn't run with girls that do. I was a good moral guy. I didn't talk bad about people. I was very conscientious of being a good Christian example, but I was full of fear. I was full of timidity. I was full of secret sins and things that just were debilitating to me. And I discovered what it was to commit myself to God's word, to read it, to love it. And I felt it change my life and impact my life. And I felt chains of timidity and insecurity just break. Felt fears break over my life. I felt lust break over my life. I felt, I just felt chains breaking over my life. They just committed to God's word. It's just a, a powerful, powerful thing to, to be in God's word, but it takes time. It takes commitment. You can't just read a devotional in the morning. Devotionals are great for giving a birthday gift to somebody. They don't build your spiritual life. You can't build your spiritual life reading a Bible verse and in in a poem in three paragraphs. It takes more than that to build this up, but, but it is so well worth it to invest your life in God's Word. It is literally the sun in the sky. It literally is. Invest in His Word. Look at this. This next three things are going to be really quick because they're they're, they're, they're important, but they're not as, as crucial. Uh, um, second thing I think it's important to do is just be honest with yourself. Be honest. If you've got an area of sin where you're blowing it, be honest with, number one, with God. Bible says in 1 John, confess to the Lord your sins. And when you sin, confess it to the Lord. Get it off your shoulders. If you have a sin and you really are struggling with and you have somebody you trust in your life, talk to them about it. Have them pray with you. Hold you accountable. That's a great thing to do. Have somebody involved. Third thing I think is important in taking precaution, uh, excuse me, in overcoming sin is to take precautions. Take some precautions. You know, Jesus once taught in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he, just, he said this one time, and you, 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 it's kind of a bold, brash thing, but he said, look, if your eye offends you, cut it out. And he, then he said after that, you know what he said after that? He said, because it's better to go to heaven blind than to go to hell with two eyes. And then he said, if your hand offends you, cut it off. Because it's better to go to heaven without hands. And Now, what is Jesus saying there? Is he really saying, cut your eyes out, cut your... Lord, no. Of course not. But, he, but he's trying to say something that, hey, if something is really hindering your spiritual life, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Take precautions. Don't put yourself in a bad situation. If there's a real vulnerability in your life to something, take some precautions to where you're not that vulnerable. You know, if you're 
boyfriend, girlfriend, and you're going, hey, we get a little too hot and heavy, you know, let me tell you what to do. Just have somebody else in the room with you. You ever notice you don't get hot and heavy if somebody else is in the room with you? Kind of an interesting thing. You know, it's you just do something to, to detour that. Take some precautions. Fuel your faith. Be honest with yourself. Confess if you need. Take precautions. And the third thing, I just want to tell you, every one of you here, never give up, man. Never give up. Never quit. Always get back on your feet. Fighting temptation is a battle. You, you, you fall down. We all fall down. Your pastor falls down. Everybody falls down. Get up. Get up. Get, everybody say get up together. Get up. Let's say it one more time. Get up. One more time. Get, get up. Just get up. There's a really powerful verse in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Micah. It's one of those Old Testament minor prophets. Book of Micah. Chapter 7, verse 8. And Micah just says, and it's just a powerful thing. They're in a bad place. He's in a bad place spiritually. But he just says, you know what? Don't rejoice over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is going to be a light to me. There's just a boldness that says, you know what? I've fallen down, but I'm getting back up. And this state is not going to be the state of of my life. I might be fallen, I might be broken, but I am not going to stay down and I am not going to stay in pieces. I am getting up. Don't rejoice over me, oh my enemy. Though I fall, I'm going to rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is going to be a light to me. And that's what's involved. At least I've found in my life, those four factors are involved in the process of overcoming temptation. It takes time, it takes patience, but, but those four are critical, particularly the first one. Fuel your faith. Fuel your faith. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with the Lord. Be honest with others. Third thing is take precautions. And the fourth thing is never give up. Always get up. Always get back on your feet and keep fighting. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for its encouragement. Um, we thank you, Father, that you're in us, that it empowers us. And Father, we can overcome the, the, the drives in our own life that sort of try to take us away from you. We can overcome what's going on in our own soul, in our own being, because you're greater. We thank you just as a motorboat can go against the current, we can go against the current of even our own flesh. Father, I pray that you would give us a heart to be fueled with your word, to be in it, to be changed by it, to be transformed by it. Father, I pray the, the joy and the, the kind of glee and elation we read in Psalm 19 over your word and its power and its supremacy and its capability. I pray we'd experience that in our own life and it changes. Father, I pray for those of us that are struggling with particular areas and we're feeling debilitated by it, we're feeling guilty. Lord, I pray for encouragement. I pray the Spirit of God would fill every one of us with hope. 
that by your grace and by your power we can overcome. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.